Hey guys, this is Colin jumping in quickly to say that we will be talking about RSL. We apologize for missing them last week, but we're going to do our best to get to them this week. Thanks and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome back to Hello from the Offside. Uh, I am Brad and I'm joined by Colin tonight for another late night edition of Hello from the Offside. Late night after dark. Yeah them west coast games uh even though we're not watching any games we both live on the west coast so. <laughs> yep that's what it is i guess are you technically on the west coast of lake superior technically yeah. same i'm on the west coast of uh lake michi as the kids yeah call it. um so we're gonna jump right in today we're gonna wrap up some uh well i guess it's not entirely wrapped up but it's wrapped up until what september right Concacaf champions league uh, something like that, yeah. Yeah, so we're wrapping up uh, until the semifinals. We'll be discussing that. Um, we'll be discussing weeks three and four. I think more emphasis on week four because uh, there were better matchups. Um, some games from there, and we're just going to do some general MLS news. Um, so to kick it off, uh, the first topic we're going to talk about is the young guns of MLS, baby. <laughs> we got some young guys doing things. Uh, so obviously I feel like it's been pretty big. Anyone who's following MLS has been pretty big headlines that, uh, Cade Cowell for San Jose and Caden Clark, uh, for New York Red Bulls have both been lighting it up in the early season. Are these guys um, even Gen Z or are they like the generation after that? They're like Gen... They're 17. So Gen I think AA. technically they're Gen Z. Okay. They're, they're Zoomers, right, at 17? Super Zooming. I don't know. I mean, they could be, yeah. they could be any generation. I don't know. Anyway, uh, so this has been Boomer Talk with Colin <laughs> and Brad. <laughs> uh, no, I think, uh, you know, obviously it's hard to take a lot of stock since there have been four, I guess technically five games for some teams. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's really kind of jumping the gun to say anything too crazy, but... Uh, in a five-game stretch, Kate Cowell for San Jose has two goals. Uh, he almost had one, I guess, which would have been Wednesday night against Seattle, um, which would technically be week five, so we're not even going to really talk about that game. But almost scored in that game. Um, I think Caden Clark has been a little more impressive. He has three goals so far in four games. Um, so, Colin, what, what are your thoughts on these young, exciting forwards? I, I think these guys remind me a lot of Brendan Aronson. They are the guy that's going to sit right behind your your number nine but is not really a 10 so they're going to play on the wing they're going to play maybe as a second forward but most most likely they're going to be one of those wing spots or even maybe in the middle in a 4-3-3 and they're going to be able to create and get you some goals Caden uh Caden Clark is you know he's already been sold technically to RB Salzburg so he's I believe going there after this season uh, yep, I and, think you're correct. Yeah, and he's he's shown a knack for goal. You know, he scores these kind of karate kick goals in the box with uh, some frequency. Um, I'm a little bit more impressed with Cade Cowell, who is coming out of nowhere to do this. You know, I'm I'm sure the the deep uh, San Jose fans expected him to be good, or maybe even thought, hey, maybe this guy's going to do something. But he's really, really shown a lot, uh, not just in his scoring goals. But in his passing, you know, he's he's making a lot of really interesting passes in the final third. Yeah, he's a, he's a fast boy as well. Um, that helps. Yeah, I think it was his second goal this year. He scored, he receives the ball just 
on the other or the attacking side of half and was able to kind of beat his man and make a good run and score. Um, yeah, I, I think I think you're kind of spot on that they're kind of of the Brendan Arison, I guess, kind of young Christian Pulisic, although he wasn't in MLS, but his early days with Borussia uh, Dortmund, you know, he kind of liked to play that floater wing role where he wasn't really a striker, but he would kind of get into the middle and he could play out wide. And um, so it, it's definitely encouraging to see these young 17 year olds, uh, you know, playing at such a high level, especially since last week uh, we talked about the younger Aronson and I believe Colin said he's 17. No way he could be <laughs> <laughs> do well in the MLS. Uh, so I mean, I guess this is kind of uh, the mold, um, you know? Uh, I think yeah, it also I, helps the system you're in, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I think all of that. Uh, I also think Pulisic, like you mentioned, is the best comparison for these guys. He is this attacking player. Pulisic, I think, can play as a number 10 for any team. Yeah. But... He had to develop into that, though. He did. When he was younger, he could not. <laughs> these guys are, are this sort of very new school attacker who is good with the ball at his feet, plays good passes, and is also very athletic, which is kind of the uh, American model. It's the Landon Donovan model that's really, really come into vogue, not just in the U.S., but globally. And maybe this is a bit of a hot take. I don't really think it is, but, you know, we're used to seeing young players from various places get chances early and do well. And now that we're seeing Americans do it, it seems to me that maybe it's just a case of giving these players opportunities rather than saying, oh, well, young Brazilians are, are so much better than Americans. And maybe that's the case. Or even young British people, players are so much better than Americans. But maybe it's just they're getting opportunities, and when you give players opportunities at high levels, they adapt quickly. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I think, you know, it, it's kind of weird just reflecting on the last 10 years of U.S. soccer to think that, you know, this is the dream that we are all sold with Jurgen Klinsmann uh, was that he was going to build up our youth academy and he was going to get these young players doing uh, more European style. And uh, I, obviously, I think um, these players, while excellent, I wouldn't describe as European technical players by any means, um, but they're insanely athletic. And I think that's something uniquely almost American sometimes is that what we lack in technical skill will make up with pure athleticism. Don't you think um, that Caden Clark or Cade Cowell could get minutes for the bottom half of the Bundesliga right now? I do. I, I would be, it'd I be pretty, uh, the bottom half of the Bundesliga is pretty trash. Um, it is. I mean, and that's, that's the thing, you know, we, we're so used to in America, the premier league, which is, I think, far and away the best league in the world well i mean you got two premier league teams in the champions league yeah, final exactly. you have one and in the europa league final and yeah. americans do not seem at all built to play in the highly technical spanish league um but germany we we thrive you know that's uh, sergio dust would like to have a work with you oh <laughs> uh, yes that's true that's fair um but we thrive there americans thrive there i don't i'm 33 years old and slow and hurt, broken hurting and broken but young Americans seem to thrive in the uh, the Bundesliga, and you know, I I wonder if uh, does Caden Clark even make it to Salzburg? Is Leipzig going to be like, hey, let's we're just going to 
bump him over here. I think I think he goes to Salzburg first. I think it's a good landing spot for him too. I think uh, not to get onto this ramp, but I think the Red yeah. Bulls have a really good system in that they they don't rush anyone into a place that they shouldn't be. So, um, how long do you think? Not to take us too far from our MLS rebrand, but how uh, how far do you think? How long do you think Brennan Aronson stays in Salzburg before he jumps to Leipzig? I think one more year. Okay. I think he was pretty, you know, he, well, he was doing really well for <clears throat> Salzburg. Um, you know, he wasn't their true starter. Um, sure. I think, I think he needs a full season to prove he can play the rigors of a full European season. Um, Non-COVID, obviously, as well, where, you know, he's going through all the pressures and things and, um, you know, if he stays at the pace he's been playing at, I, I don't see him being one more season if he starts next year for Salzburg. I agree, and I, I think the biggest thing that, that he did and that a lot of players, young American players have done, is to grab the opportunity they've been given. I mean, Aronson has not even lost a step from leaving Philadelphia. You know, he's essentially... No. He's been playing since last year. He's not had a break since the last MLS season. So this upcoming off season is the first real chance he's going to have to catch his breath. And he's not lost a step the entire time. It's been really impressive seeing a kid that I really didn't rate that highly in MLS part partially biased, but you know, see him just go to, go to Austria and say, yeah, I'm, I belong here. Well, I mean, to bring this kind of full circle and back to MLS with Aronson, at least I think, the thing was, it felt like he was putting up good stats against bad teams and didn't show up against good teams. And so it was hard to be like, oh, yeah, he's going to be fine in Europe. Like, it was like, well, he doesn't look great when he plays good competition. Like, are we sure he's not just someone who loads up on, you know, Cincinnati? It's three goals. And suddenly his stats, you know, oh, he's played 12 games and he has five goals. And it's like, well, I got a hat trick against Cincinnati. Like, <laughs> are we sure? Like... Not to pick on Cincinnati or anything, but, you know, I'm just thinking no, bottom half Cincinnati. teams in the East. and Pick on them. <laughs> yeah, hell is real, I know, I know. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I for sure, uh, like, hope that both of these players continue to thrive and show that, like, MLS is not just, like, a feeder league for other like countries as well is that we're also developing young American players, not just young South American players, Central American players, you know, that MLS is real. And like, you know, it's been around now that what, this is the 26th season. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's taken some massive strides um, and it's 26 years. Uh, you know, it's still a baby league when you really think about it. Um, and so. I, I think one, one last point on this, you know, yeah. I, um, I think maybe either, either in our, uh, our Facebook messenger in, in the last podcast, I mentioned that um, I think it was Sam Sedgkel from the athletic who referred to LAFC as a bunch of central midfielders playing at the same time, sort of like 2009 Spain. And what I think uh, Red Bull is doing in their entire uh, hierarchy from top to bottom is playing a bunch of wingers, which might be a little bit more interesting than a bunch of uh, central midfielders. And Caden Clark seems to work. Cade Cowell, oh, Pulisic, even though he's never been in the Red Bull system, 
and uh, the other kid who I can't remember right now, Brennan Aronson, all fit that system. Maybe that's the future of soccer. Maybe it's just soccer right now, but it, it works well. It seems to work pretty okay for Dortmund. Yep. I mean, they're pretty pretty yep. wing heavy usually. Exactly. So, uh, All right. Well, that's just kind of going to wrap up. I know that there are other young players doing great things in MLS. Um, you know, there are some other younger defenders who are doing well and whatnot, but these have been the two, I guess, headline grabbers. So uh, we'll just throw that out there. Um, moving on and kind of staying in the New York area, uh, let's talk about the Kaku saga. Kaku. Kaku, Kaku. Uh, so he is uh, technically, um, I believe, on signed to New York City, right? Or is it the Red Bulls? No, it's Red Bulls, yeah. So he's technically signed with the Red Bulls, but he's not playing for them. He's playing in Saudi Arabia, uh, and he lost a court case, and so MLS has filed suit against him. Colin, explain MLS contracts. You know... Go. I, I wish I could. I, I honestly think this is more a case of Kaku was, to my understanding, out of contract with Red Bull, but still the league has an understanding that they own his rights. And Kaku said, no, you don't. I'm leaving. I am going to play for the Saudi Arabian team. I don't think that's going to hold up in any of the – if my understanding is correct, I don't think that's going to hold up – in FIFA, they're going to be like, get away. But I don't blame MLS for doing this. You know, if they can get players to to think that they're under contract for with MLS for as long as they've signed, and then onward, that's a big deal for uh, MLS and really a big blow to players' rights. Yeah, I, I I'm hoping for that exact reason. It's not, um, you know, anyone who is not just an MLS fan and a soccer, international soccer fan in general, knows that uh, MLS contracts do not work like contracts in Europe. I mean, if a player's unhappy in Europe, he basically goes to management and says, I'm not happy, I'm not going to play, and they pretty much find him a new home in most cases. Yeah, I, um, I, I think there's some positive and negative there. So in, in those cases, contracts are a little bit more fluffy. They're to, you, Almost always the contracts are paid unless the team can't afford it. Um, mm -hmm. um, but in MLS, you don't sign with a team. You sign yeah. with the league, and the league assigns you to to a team. You know that's that's all a funny way of saying yes. You're going to talk to Philadelphia, and Philadelphia's going to say, "Hey, do you want to come play in Philadelphia?" You'll say yes. You'll sign for the union, but your contract is held by the league, and you are a an MLS player who is just owned with this single entity MLS. So you can move throughout MLS, your contract won't change, but you are an MLS player rather than a Philadelphia Union player. Yeah, and a lot of this probably has to do with kind of the early formation of MLS. Um, so it might be a relic and it might go away. Um, we'll see, but that saga is definitely gonna be an interesting kind of test case to see how this goes. Um, Obviously, in the U.S., you know, the court system has already ruled and or the arbitrator, independent arbitrator, has already ruled in favor of MLS. So um, that's why this is going to an actual court is to sue or to have the arbitrator's decision enforced. Um, so we'll just keep it kind of rolling. Uh, just briefly touching on this real quick. Um, 
Cabral is finally with the Galaxy. He finally made it uh, from France. All visa issues worked out. Uh, so that's exciting. They finally have their third DP. Um, I don't know. Do you want to say anything about this? Yeah. Um, guess how much he makes a year. Oh, is this going to go into your deep dive about salaries? Not not unless you want it to, but it can. Yeah, let's let's do it all at once. Sure. I he's a DP. I remember he's his a young deal DP. was He's not a real DP. Yeah. Oh, he is a young DP. It's official. I think he's a young DP. I might I could be I, wrong. I I could totally okay. be wrong about I that. I thought we squared this out. He's 21 years apparently old, we have so not. Yeah. he could be a young DP. Um, I think his deal was like six or seven million, but I don't know, spread over like four years. So he's probably making just under a million. He is making $1,440,000 a season. That probably puts him in the top 10% of MLS players. Top 10% for sure, but he is making, so let me just tell you some players he makes more money than. Ezekiel Barco, Darwin Quintero, Jossie Zardes, uh, Jaime Moreno. I'm just going to Yimmy Chara. Yimmy Chara is at 1.2 million. Yeah, but Zardes needs to fire his agent. He makes more than Jordan Morris. Uh, You know the list. The list goes on of players he makes. Kellen Acosta, eh? Paul Ariola, eh? Um, But well, for a player who who came from League Two, like not even. I believe it's. League 2. Yeah, not even League 1. He's from League 2. And I know Renee's not here to take up for him, but that is a shocking contract. Yeah, uh, it is pretty wild. Um, uh, I think separately we have talked about this, but the Galaxy seem to have some sort of pipeline in France right now, uh, which which is kind of interesting. And um, I don't because... blame them for that because France is having some issues with their TV deal, but... If you're getting these guys and you're paying them still that much money for a league do player, excuse my French, then I don't really understand what you're doing. Well, I find it kind of interesting just in the sense that I feel like France has had a lot of very talented young players um, in the recent years um, who have gone on to bigger European clubs. Yeah, but have, they, um, so, have they stayed in League 2 at 21 years old? I don't think so. No, yeah. no. But uh, my thought process here is maybe Galaxy is thinking if we can get this pipeline going, kind of get some of these younger talents that we can sell them on for more money. You know, classic Galaxy Ponzi scheme, just like Herbalife. <laughs> I'm being a little harsh on the Galaxy. I know. But you're right. Um, so let's let's stick with this salary vein for, yeah. for a minute, if you don't mind. Uh, no, of course. Let's uh, jump to the highest paid player in MLS, which is Javier Hernandez Chicharito. Who? At $6 million a year. Uh, last year, I think that was a, an incredible waste of money, aside from the Galaxy, who like to make their brand as having the highest paid player in the league, which I think is a good brand to have, a great brand to have. Um, yeah. Number two, Gonzalo Higuain at $5 million a year, who I think has also been a waste of money. Uh, Carlos Vela at three with four point five Wait, million. I'm sorry. Who is the second highest paid player? Gonzalo Higuain. For Miami. Yes, Federico's Federico's uh, little brother, who started Real Madrid and uh, Juventus and yeah, lots other European stops. Um, fourth is Alejandro Pozuelo, last year's MVP. I think that was kind of a 
bad MVP, but stat heads will disagree with me. Uh, Joseph Martinez is fifth at $3.5 million. Rodolfo Pizarro is sixth at $3 million. And I think the, the worst value contract in all of MLS is in seventh with Jurgen Lakaidia from FC Cincinnati, who makes $2.5 million a year and has scored two goals in 21 matches as a striker. That's yeah, not that's, good. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know how to sugarcoat this. So um, this is just base salary though, right? This, so this is base salary. I don't think it's worth talking about guaranteed compensation. Guaranteed, no, I don't care about that. Guaranteed comp includes uh, bonuses that are sort of like spread out through the years of the contract. But, but I think this year the, the best thing to talk about is guarantee or is uh, base salary. Um, so, uh, so we just missed uh, Nico Ladero, who's at 2.1 million, who is just under Josie Altador at 2.16. Um, I think Altador is probably pretty overpaid versus his current skill level. Um, he's getting old, though. And he's constantly injured. He is. Um, Some other notes are the highest paid American is Josie. Second highest paid American is Darlington Nagby at $1.7 million, which I think is worth every penny, every single penny. He plays for uh, the Columbus Soccer Club, right? The Columbus Soccer Club Cruisers. The Columbus Soccer Club Kickers, boys. Nagby's base salary is higher than Lucas Zellerion, which surprised me, which is $1.6 million. Um, I, I think my Are we biggest... we just reading a list now? I am. My biggest takeaway from, from reading all of these salaries is that I think we've kind of gotten to a place where MLS teams seem to realize that you want to have, like, between two and five players making a million dollars a year. And then you want to have everyone else making about two to 800,000 if possible. And because these teams have done, have sort of all figured this out. I, I think, you know, we're, we're on the brink of a new MLS uh, Moneyball system. I don't know what it's going to be, but you know, it was in 2015, the way to be the best team in the league was to have as many players as possible making six figures. That was it. The league has changed so much since 2015 that now it's okay. How do we get an entire team full of guys that are making like 500 to $600,000 a year while also having our guys that are, that are going to, going to create and score. Um, I, I don't know what the next step is. Maybe it's okay. We figured out that, We've got to have everyone make a million. That's going to require the salary cap to go up drastically. But um, with the current salary constraints, I think we've sort of hit a um, an equilibrium of every team kind of knowing how they've got to balance their salaries. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think I guess right now I'm just interested to see where the league goes you know, long-term, like, are we going to, is the league going to continue to do this salary cap forever to kind of even the playing field? Or as it continues to expand, is it going to look at the salary cap and think this is ridiculous? Yeah, I agree with you. I I think the league has 
essentially two paths to take. Path one is, do we continue with the salary cap and make it higher, or which which does promote the health of the league and makes the league stable? You know, the, the MLS sure, certainly lost money, but is one of the more stable leagues during the pandemic because the salary structure is incredibly low. Yeah. Or do they free up the salary cap and say, you know what, we're going to open things up and then risk crazy transfer fees. Yeah, and super clubs. Yeah, I, I think if any league in the world could start over right now, they would take the MLS structure. At the same time, I'm, I'm more labor-friendly as a human. You know, that's my, you know, I, I tend to lean a little bit that direction. So because of that, I, I want... I want a more open salary cap. I'm also, on the other side, I'm a fan of a team from a small market that thrives when you can exploit a salary cap for uh, to find efficient players rather than expensive players. Yeah. I think for me, just thinking about this in general, um, I think the smart move for MLS is to just kind of slowly increase the cap but not do away with the cap. I think obviously with the pandemic, you know, everyone took a loss. Um, Either, you know, every business, I guess every human really took a loss the last year and a half or whatever it's been. Um, And I I just like, I don't think you can increase the cap right now, but in a couple years, I think you should kind of steadily raise it kind of like what the NBA does where every year, you know, it kind of changes and fluctuates based on a bunch of different factors. Obviously, I don't think it'll ever get to the number NBA does, but I think that's probably kind of in the mold of what makes sense for the MLS to continue to be successful because I think the fear here is super teams. I mean, you have big markets and they would just, you know, wreck like... I don't see how, you know, some of these clubs would ever compete. <laughs> we uh, would yeah. definitely get like a big six in MLS. So I, I broke down the the new CBA back in February for Massive Report. And through 2027, the life of the CBA, the available roster spend goes from essentially $9.2 million this year to $13 million in 2027. That by itself is not enough to make the league competitive. It's enough to, no. it's enough to maybe win some more games against Liga Emekis if that's what you want. But it's not enough to beat every team in Liga Emekis every single week. Um, that said, there is a revenue sharing agreement that will come into play in 2023. You know, if for some reason ESPN or somebody decides to give MLS a crazy amount of money a year, that will get rolled into the salary cap. So that could change yeah. things, but. The league is clearly looking at, okay, maybe in 2028 is when we decide, let's blow this up, let's become, let's become a league that pays a lot. But by then, you know, they're going to be looking at more than 30 years of success, 30 years of fans, and it may be the time to do that. I agree. I think that's probably the correct model. I think, you know, MLS has been fortunate. I think their deal with ESPN has worked out really well. Um, I, for one, enjoy it. I enjoy being able to watch any game, basically, um, using the ESPN Plus or whatever the hell platform it is now. I forget what that's called, but um, 
I think they kind of were one of the first leagues to kind of buy into this all streaming thing and they kind of scrapped their own network, which was clunky and not the best. So, um, you know, I think ESPN, you know, it drove a lot of subscriptions to start with that and UFC. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm glad to see MLS continue to grow and I think ultimately it's going to continue to be successful. And I think you're right about the model not being high enough, but there's not a lot you can do. I think as a fan of a team, I would trade um, my team continuing to exist and not, and, you know, be able to open a new stadium and buy players occasionally rather than, than close out. As long as my, my problem is they're not sharing revenue with the players. And if they could start a system that shares revenue with the players in a more equitable way than is planned in 2023, that's what I would prefer. Yeah. Any other thoughts on the salaries and no, I I think we're, I guess, let me ask you this. You dug a lot deeper into the salary stuff than I have. Um, I just stood, you know, a cursory glance to look at some of the big name players, see where they were at. Um, were there any teams that like surprised you with the makeup of their salary? Just kind of like looking at it from a team standpoint, like, oh, like I thought this team would be higher or I thought this team would be lower. Yeah, I think uh, the biggest surprise to me was the was LAFC, who are, I think, sixth in salary. And their salary is not out of control. You know, it's like... I think 16,000 or maybe even 14,000 or excuse me, 14 million, 16 million, something that like that um, a year in total salary spend. Uh, the number one team in the league was LA or uh, the LA galaxy. Number two was um, Toronto. That has changed as of this, these salaries getting released. Uh, that doesn't include Jefferson Saltillo, uh, who will take Toronto to the number one spot. They've been near the top or the top for a couple years now. They have. Um, Atlanta's down right after those those two. Uh, and then you've got a couple more until you reach LAFC. Um, above LAFC, which I, I think is worth mentioning, is Cincinnati is fifth highest in spend. It's paying Jurgen Lukaitia $2 million and a half million a year. And has won 10 games in MLS. They've won 10 games. In two and a tenth of a season. That's hilarious. It's really Not great. It's really funny. You know, Godspeed and God bless them for spending money. But as we've learned, Toronto's been a big spender for years and years and years. And Toronto's won one MLS Cup yeah. and was really bad until they got Bradley and Altidore together. It's true. Um, the other the other thing that surprised me, the crew being at eight surprised me. Seattle's higher, um, so Seattle's in that top group. The crew being at eight I thought was really good. Uh, that means the ownership has committed to being a, you know, sort of top, ha- top half to middle spender. Uh, I, I think that's the most efficient way to spend as a not LA or Atlanta or Seattle team. You've got to be in that sort of, not necessarily Moneyball, but finding value while also buying a few really, really good players. Um, and then, you know, I've got to take a dig at Austin. You know, I, I mentioned in one of our first podcasts in this new format that I don't think Precourt has the money to pay for a team. And lo and behold, Austin has the second lowest roster spend of any team this year. 
Well, we also kind of knew that going in. They didn't spend a ton on DPs. Um, they're using the expansion draft. Uh, so they took some players, you know, who weren't exactly high salary players. We kind of knew they were going to be lower, but you're not wrong that that's definitely going to be something worth watching in the coming years to see if it fluctuates anymore. There's nothing that prevented them from getting a bunch of TAM guys, though. You know, they've got extra league yeah. allocated money. They could have done this. Maybe they're, they, they may get a guy in the middle of the year who they might pay $2 million. They might get another guy who they're going to pay a million dollars to take them up to the top half, you know, the crew are at thirteen million. Austin's at nine million. The crew are thirteen five. Austin's like nine one. So it's not, you know, those aren't worlds apart. But the crew are spending almost fifty percent more than Austin on their salary, and that's yeah. a, that's a big improvement, and it's an improvement that won an MLS Cup. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I just, you know, it's Austin's first year. I I find it a little strange they're not. I guess using the Atlanta model of who came into the league and used every ounce of the benefits that they got that first year, um, you know, an extra, what is it? Tam that they get. I I think Um, unfortunately this is a, this is a unfortunate um, position of MLS hitching themselves to a horse that can't win a race, which is pre-court who just can't afford it. And I don't, you know, I do not blame him at all for doing what he's done. As a human, sure, I blame him. But as as a business person, you know, he he wanted a team in Austin, and he somehow finagled it. Good job. He's going to sell that team in probably two to four years for a lot of money, and it's going to be a, a profit maker for him. Okay, so I think that kind of just will tie a bow on Atlanta there and pre-court, and, you know, I think you're right. He is going to sell the team for a profit, um, which is smart. I mean, get in at a league when it's – Cheap like this, you probably flip it for a good profit, um, you know, uh, and yeah, Atlanta exists. So I guess he kind of won in his own way. Um, so let's move on from salary. Um, we're just going to do uh, what I'm going to call overreactions. Uh, so we're going to do an overreaction uh, for both East and West. So it can be either table or result or anything you want. Um so I'll kick it to you first, and then in the middle we can discuss what Davis sent in, um, and then I'll do mine. So go ahead. So I'm, can I can I start west first? Yeah, we'll start on the west. We'll do the west, and your west, and then we'll do Davis's west, and then I'll do mine. So, I, I, so my my western overreaction is that Adrian Heath, Inchi, Everton legend, Big Baby is getting fired before July fourth. Because you really think so? Minnesota is not good. I I think I called this in our earlier preview. I don't know if I had it Minnesota in the playoffs, but Minnesota is smoke and mirrors. They're a team held together by toothpicks and glue, and they've got like a good attacking midfielder, and that is about it. Icopara isn't playing still. He's somehow still hurt, and they've got a bunch of former crew players who weren't good enough to be on the current team. So. Why, why would we expect them to continue to be good in a increasingly not pandemic year? You, uh, you love to talk about the former crew players not being good elsewhere. Exactly. They're not. Yeah. That's why they're gone. Well, I mean, I'm going to say this before we like move on. I will say I don't know who is like the data person for the crew. 
um, or whatever, but uh, they must have like someone in the front office who's on top of this because they seem to maximize players, get rid of them when they seem at their high, and then they go elsewhere and aren't great. That's uh, um, a conversation for another day, but the crew, um, per Elliot McKinley, massive reporter, uh, writer, and huge soccer stat person, the crew certainly do have one of the better statistic uh, statistical analysts in the league. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it shows. That's just the point here. Um, so while you were saying that, uh, I'm just going to tie in Davis real quick. Um, he also has Minnesota as being his uh, overreaction. Um, he says that he's floored that they have been so bad and terrible. And uh, he said that the early results in some cases are kind of fluky, but he doesn't think that it is a fluke for Minnesota. And it just looks like they're flat out bad at soccer. I agree. Um, and I feel like you kind of hit on that pretty well. Uh, so I won't touch on it. He also just threw out, um, Portland and LAFC. Uh, he's pretty confused about them. Um, you know, both those teams aren't having the results. We all have them predicted them to be high. Um, but I, he believes that it's it's early. Things will probably turn around for those two clubs. I, I think for LAFC, for Portland, I think they'll be okay. LAFC, we are very quickly approaching the end of their window phase. You know, they've this is their third year now, and the third year where so now Carlos Vela is kind of missing games again. First year one, he was healthy. They didn't make it to the finals. Okay, whatever. Year two. He was injured. They didn't make it to the finals. Okay. Year three, he's already injured again. So, I, you know, it's LAFC's got to look in the mirror and say, do we have the money to spend? They're not one of the, like I said, they're not one of the top five salary spenders in the in MLS. And two, if this is it, then how do you move forward? I don't yeah. Know. <sighs> yeah. Um you know, we were kind of talking about this with salary, and I was thinking to myself, but couldn't remember if this was the last year they had the TAM extra. I, I don't know. I don't think anyone really knows how long the extra GAM and TAM lasts, but, you know, it's it's probably this year or next year. Yeah. Um, so that, that'll definitely be interesting. Because um, I... To kind of tie in with Davis and you, I, I definitely think this is, like... LAFC kind of has to put up or shut up this year. Um, they came in with all this goodwill in LA, much to Renee's dislike. You know, they came in with celebrity owners and all sorts of fanfare, and they built their stadium in LA. Uh, you, I don't know why I just did a hand gesture. No one can see, but, uh, <laughs> you know, they came in with all this stuff and to bring in fans. They needed to have a fan base um, because, you know, I, I don't think relying on what used to be Chiva, Chivas USA was going to be enough fans, obviously. I don't think you um, can go to your cadre of celebrity owners and say, we want to buy this player and pay him this much a year that is outside of what we get from MLS. Can we do this? I don't think they're going to be like, yeah, sure. I'm Will Ferrell. Here's a million dollars. I'm 
whoever, here's $50,000. I don't think they're going to get that. Yeah, unless they win. <laughs> Even then, I don't. So, so they've won one trophy, the uh, Supporters' Shield from 2019. That's, uh, that's a valuable trophy, but, you know, now this is the second straight year where the Supporters' Shield has lost value. You know, we had the pandemic year of last year, which I think the Supporters' Shield mattered last year, but it mattered a lot less than usual. And this year it matters even less. When you're playing only three matches against the other conference, the supporter shield is next to nothing this year. Yeah. It, it's really weird this year. Um, all right. I'm going to do my surprise real quick. I think um, mine's less, I think, obvious. Um, I'm going to, I want to talk about sporting Kansas city. Um, I have now watched two separate sporting Kansas city games and have left them every time going is Kansas city good. I don't know. I, I think they're bad. Um, which to me is a surprise. I, you know, they've been in the same system for so long. They've been really good in that system, even with, I would say squads that are lesser talented than other teams and they've still been a threat to win the West. Um, but this year, it's early, obviously, so I'm not putting a lot of stock into it. That's why this is called overreactions. But if this continues, it's going to be a long season for Kansas City, and I'm not sure if their manager survives. I don't think they can move away from him yet. You know, I mean, they've they've won the West, the West regular season two of the last three years. That's impressive. Um. But like you're saying, you know, they've really not done much in the league since they won MLS Cup quite a while ago, like 2013 or 14. Um, maybe even longer ago than that. It's It's been, you know, not making the first round, making the first round. Semifinals, great. Didn't qualify in 19, uh, 2020 quarterfinals. You know, it's been five years since they really made a dent in the, the uh, playoffs. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Is Peter Vermes the Arson Wagner of MLS? No, he's won a cha- he's won at least one championship if not multiple. Well, Arson Wenger won a couple championships early in his career he won, he and won then like he won championship. I think he won two or three. So Sporting KC won in 15 and 17. Um sorry, Open Cup. Excuse me. They won, yeah, they which won, is an FA Cup, which, that's you know, Arsene Wenger won a bunch of those. Vermees has won three Open Cups, one MLS Cup in 13, and I don't know how many supporters shield. I'm sure there's one in there somewhere, maybe in like 18 or 20. I don't remember when, but one of those maybe. Um, I, I just, you know, I, I think Vermees is, if you want to spend what they spend, you've got to just say, yep, we're good with Vermees until he retires. That's it. Listen, I think this Arsene Wenger comparison's a lot better than you think it is. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't think it's wrong, but I, I just think Vermees is more successful than that. I mean, Wenger's second year at Arsenal, they won the double. I think the better Wenger can, uh, comparison would have been Greg Berhalter, who has not won a daggone thing. Um, but... Besides getting the love of everyone. Um, but, you know, I, I, for me, this isn't a bad one. 
No, I I also value Wanger. I think you're greatly underestimating sure, his sure. career because sure. I mean it's so shadowed by the last seven or eight years of his That's career cool. where they didn't do squat. But um, yeah. Uh, so that was my surprise. We don't have Renee on, but I think his big surprise um, in the West would probably be the Galaxy. I and I, I I mentioned this last time we talked. I think the Galaxy have benefited by playing teams that weren't very good until they played LAFC and won, which was a big win, a huge win. And you've got to get these wins. You know, I I'm a big proponent of saying MLS does not matter until like August. Um, but the wins still count. They still count for three points, and you still get zero for a loss and one for a tie. I think every single one of these clubs is going to slump at some point this season. You know, it matters when you slump. Yeah. So these teams who are starting hot now, let's, you know, if you're a fan of them, hope they don't slump at the end of the year. Uh, hopefully it's the middle of the year. Um, yeah, so those are just... Quick overreactions for the West, both positive and negative. Um, I guess on the positive side, before we go, um, Davis wanted to mention the Quakes, um, and he also was really excited by Kate Cowell um, and no other players on the Quakes. So we'll move on. <laughs> yeah, I don't, uh, I don't think they have any players whose uh, initials start with CW. I don't think so. No, not at all. No one worth mentioning, at no, least, I'm sure. Not at all. All right, let's let's go to the east. Uh, we'll start with Davis. Uh, I think again overreaction, but his overreaction is Columbus, uh, and he he's hypothesizing that uh, early season schedule bogging with Concacaf Champions League has kind of hurt them, and they've kind of stumbled out of the gates in MLS. Um, he's kind of also saying the same thing about Philly and Toronto. Uh, but he's mostly shocked about Columbus as I think everyone here had really, really high hopes and still does, obviously, for Columbus to win the cup again this year. Um, so for him, that's been the biggest shocker. Um, do you want to add anything as the resident uh, Columbus soccer club fan? Yeah, I, uh, I don't disagree. Um, I, I mean, I would point out that so the crew have played four games and they have five points. The team that's played five matches and has eight points is in first. So they're a win away from being in first place. Well, um, I mean, the team that's played five matches and has 13 points is in the West. Sure, but... sure, sure. I just mean the East. <laughs> um, yeah, they, I, I think Davis mentioning all of those teams that were in the CONCACAF Champions League sort of proves, proves my point, proves his point a little bit in that it's hard to play in the Champions League like this and to focus on the season, you've got to say, you know, we're going to give up one for the other. The crew are in a really congested fixture time right now. They don't have Kevin Molino. He's not played for the team yet. He should be back in the next, like, probably thinking about next week. I'm not worried yet. The goal scoring is a little concerning. It'll be concerning if they hit 10 games and they're still, you know, really, really low in, uh, in goals for. Um, but, but that's still a factor of uh, Jossie got hurt, you know, two weeks ago. He's still recovering from a shoulder injury, which is not a fun thing to play soccer with. So no. I'm, I'm not concerned yet. I, I may be later, but right now I'm not. Listen, I just to jump on this, I, this is overreaction. 
part of the pod, but I am absolutely not concerned about Columbus at all. Just to put the East in perspective, and we said this beforehand, it was going to be that there was going to be two clubs probably near the top and kind of a lot of congestion because we thought it was the weaker of the two conferences. Okay, so in the East, from 11th to 1st place is all separated by one win. Yeah. 11th place has five points and 1st place has eight points. In the Western Conference, 1st place has 13 points and 11th has five. Being in 11th and only having five in the West is a little bit different than in the East. Yeah. You could win one game and suddenly find yourself in the playoffs in the East. I think so, Chicago and Cincinnati are sort of setting themselves apart as being bad teams, but otherwise, ooh, baby, no one cares right now. None of what? this matters. Since you mentioned it, uh, let's jump into Chicago because that is my team that I am surprised about. They stink. I did the preview for Chicago. I was pretty high on them. I am no longer high on them. They should change their name to the Chicago Dumpster Fire. Can they call the crew <laughs> rebranding person? <laughs> Yes. Oh, sorry. Columbus Soccer it. Club. No, they already did it. Look at their logo. That's just a bunch of triangles. Like it's actual, triangle actual dumpster fire. It um, is. Yeah. No, they're they've been so bad, and I expected so much more from them. And the worst part about it is the player that they sold off to Montreal is doing really well in Montreal. Yeah, you're right. Um, so I don't know what's going on in Chicago, but. I was high on their manager. I thought this was going to be a good fun year because they had young players. I am wrong. I think they're going to be bad. I think they might be the worst team in MLS. Like, I legitimately think they might be worse than Cincinnati. I, I think you're which right. Which is weird to say. I think we both like Barrich. We think he's going to score goals. I wonder if they're coming to a point where they've got to say this. So, so they've made a lot of really bad uh, contract decisions. Even with this team, they, they keep doing it. So... When are they going to say, let's move off of Barrett's contract and let's find a way to somehow get to zero? They've got to do it. That's the only option they have. Yeah. And to kind of put Chicago in perspective, I shared this tweet within the group and I'm going to share it now uh, from Jeremy uh, Nicola. The Chicago Fire lost Wednesday in their fifth game of the year, one to nothing at DC United. Chicago are now 0-4-1, have lost four straight, and haven't scored in 314-plus minutes. They're winless in their last 11, dating back to 2020. They're now 0-13-4 when conceding first under Wiki and still looking for their first road win since October of 2019. Yeah, the crew are about there with the road wins, too, so I won't get too... uh, I won't talk too much about road wins in MLS. Uh, Yeah, I understand that, but... The crew don't have any of those other stats. <laughs> that's, true. Uh, that's true. So that that's my takeaway. It's more of a negative. I I don't. There's plenty of positives on the East. Um, I think Montreal's kind of been a pleasant surprise. I think they're doing better than. Well, I guess Davis thought they were going to be good, but the rest of us were kind of low on them. But um, yeah, I mean, Barich, So Barich is uh, 29 years old, and he is very clearly in his prime. He's peaked now. He's I would. I think Barrett is one of the top ten, maybe even top five strikers in the league. So if they can move him for a significant amount of money, they've got to do it. Yeah, I mean, he'd be a lot better if he had anyone who could give him service. Yeah. Um, imagine if he was on Philly. I like if you swapped him with your least favorite boy, Chabelko. <laughs> yeah. I literally cannot name another single player on the Chicago Fire outside of Robert Barrett. 
Uh, I can name their manager, Wiki. Yeah, I, I know Wiki. Sam Witwicky, the Transformer guy. <laughs> I don't know who their goalkeeper is. I don't know who their midfield is. I don't know anybody else except Robert Barrett. That's it. All right. Do you want to do your biggest shock for the East? I sure hope it's Cincinnati. No, I, I, had, <laughs> I had Cincinnati in the playoffs, and I'm surprised they're as bad as they are. But my shock is that Montreal, for all of the struggles they've faced, are first place. That's a huge accomplishment. They have they lost their manager without a chance to go do a national global manager search. They hired within and they made a great choice. They're playing interesting soccer. They've made really good decisions. Victor Wanyama is playing up to his salary. Jordi Mihaljevic is playing exactly as well as everyone who is not in Chicago thought he could. They've they've done a really good job and they're a fun team who look like they're going to make the playoffs. Yeah. I, I think that's great, and I don't even think I want to add anything because it's such a positive way to end this, and we're <laughs> doing terrible talk about Chicago. So uh, let's let's keep this rolling then. Uh, let's do a quick CONCACAF quarterfinals roundup. Um, so on the last pod, Colin and I predicted that two MLS teams would advance. We were thinking either Portland or Crew would catch lightning in a bottle, uh, we were wrong. We were so, so wrong. Very wrong. Um, neither of them caught lightning in a bottle. They caught turds in a bottle. <laughs> it turns out a turd in a bottle still smells like a turd. Um, that's that's what uh, your grandpa down in Kentucky used to say, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, so uh, it was not great. Uh, Philadelphia obviously kind of was able to take their foot off the gas against Atlanta in the second leg and advances... Um, I don't know, your thoughts about either Portland or Columbus getting schlacked in Mexico. Columbus was a super disappointment. Uh, oh, man, it really was. You know, there was no uh, Lucas Dillarion, but still, to give up the goals they gave up were, was really disappointing. One goal from a set piece, and then two sort of counterattack goals. Monterey is not good. I do not feel bad about saying that. They're not a good team. They're only can score off of the counterattack and set, set pieces, and we gave them three goals that way. We, I shouldn't say we, the crew totally blew it, and they looked really They're bad. They're called Columbus Soccer Club now? The Columbus Soccer Crew totally blew it, looked really bad. Worst game they've played since, like, September of 2020. Uh, regular season time now. Let's go. Yeah, I... Oh, man, my thoughts on that game. Uh... I'm surprised they looked as bad as they did without Zola Ryan. He's um, good. He's good, man. He's so, so He good. is really good. And the only reason I'm saying that, and this is obviously unfair because Seattle wasn't playing in CONCACAF, but like they've pretty much been without their best player, Ladero. He played one game. He came on as a sub for 20 minutes, and they've looked outstanding. So um, they haven't looked outstanding. They've won, so I'll take that. But... Uh, yeah, I, I was surprised. I kind of figured, you know, he's obviously, I think he's probably better than Ladero, but Ladero is a little older. Um, but I just, I didn't think it was going to affect the crew the way it did. And it felt like I the game started. And I think if that first goal doesn't happen, it's a completely different game. But Monterey yeah, scores first. And if they don't I think it just took the sails out of the if they don't Sorry, give up go that, ahead. If they don't give up that counterattack goal, it's a different game. Uh, but yeah. the crew still really didn't do much outside of the time between, like, minute 
20 to 45, they didn't do much. The second half, they were bad. The beginning of the first half, they were not good enough. So that's that's how it is. You know, maybe if Kevin Molino's healthy all year, they'd do better, but he wasn't, and that's reality. So All right. Moving well, on. do you want to talk about Portland at Club America? At Azteca. No, I'm not surprised they lost. Portland is good, but they're an early season MLS team playing in Azteca when they had to win, and they're not going to do that ever. All right. Yeah, no, I'm good with that. I, yeah, I, it's just reality. Like It was three to one. Yeah, um, not surprised. How many penalties were there? Like 15 somehow? I don't know. Yeah, it was a tough game to watch. Um, you know, I, I thought because of the way Portland had lost the weekend before that game to Dallas, I think four to one. In my head, I was like, oh, like, maybe they're actually going to go all out and try and get this game in at Azteca. And then the game started and I was like, nope, <laughs> that is not the case. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I know the Portland fans in, that I know uh, have not been thrilled with Portland at all to start this season. Uh, and I keep reminding them that it's a long season and they need to calm down. They're not uh, healthy still. They'll get there. Yeah. I was like, you need to R-E-L-A-X, relax, and demand that your GM be fired. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on to uh, matches. Um, so first match up, we got Austin at Kansas City. Did you watch this match? Uh, no, not really. Okay. I think I was the only one who watched it, and I was determined to watch it for this pod because I'm determined to talk about every team. And I hadn't watched Austin play yet. Uh, like I had mentioned, this is the second time I watched Kansas City play. Uh, this game was weird. Um, it was in Kansas City. Uh, it was like a, the Sunday primetime game last weekend of week four. Um, Atlanta came out and scored first and had a 1-0 lead at half. And I will say this, or not Atlanta, Austin. Austin came out with what I think might be one of the best assists I've seen so far in MLS. It was a goal. fantastic cross um, to a streaking player uh, who almost blew it. Uh, <laughs> the pass was so good and his touch was so bad. He almost played it. Uh, luckily he was able to keep the angle and slot it past the goalkeeper. Um, so I was watching the game and was just blown away. Um, Kansas City missed chance after chance after chance. Um, it looked like Austin was playing a high back line and we're getting eaten up by Kansas City on through balls. Uh, but it works out when your goalie's pretty good and Kansas City's players can't hit the broadside of a barn. Um, so late in the game, uh, Kansas City ties the game. Uh, and then it, Austin ends up getting a red card. So they're down to 10 man. And this is my big takeaway from this game. I don't think Austin's ever practiced a situation with a man down. They did not look organized at all. It was embarrassing. My high school team practiced. We would scrimmage where one team had 11 and the other team had 10 or nine players. So you knew about shape and formation. Yeah. And good God, was it bad. Uh, yeah. And so Kansas City ended up winning 3-1. I, or it might've been 2-1. But I literally, as soon as the second man, or they were down to 10 men, I literally said in our chat, I was like, Kansas City just scored in 10 minutes, and they did. Um, it was an, 
Bears in performance from Austin. I thought they might hold out for a draw, but yeah, it not good. I, I um, think Austin's going to do that thing where they have a bunch of games where they have 60% possession and still lose because unless they can find a number nine, it might be Kai Kamara, who is, I think, still unemployed. Um, but unless they can find a real old-school number nine, they're not going to score goals. Let me find out about Kai Kamara for you. That is a great question. Uh, yeah, no, they definitely have some issues there. Kai Kamara has played for everyone. He has. Yeah, he's uh, technically, he is on Minnesota United's roster. So, which means that he is unemployed. Oh, I guess that's 2020. Yeah. He's, a, he's a free. He's an MLS free agent. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. I don't know. My big takeaway, second big takeaway about this, besides Austin looking like they've never practiced something that's pretty fundamental, was I was not impressed with Kansas City. I thought I was going into that game to get a better look at Kansas City and determine I think they are a bottom playoff team at best. Um, Unless some things change. But yeah, those are my kind of takeaways from that game. Um... You know, I I liked that Austin seemed to be physical and kind of wanted to grind it out. And, uh, you know, that obviously cost him with the red card. Um, But, yeah, no, I I don't know what to make of Austin yet. I need to watch them again and do some, like, bigger analysis rather than just kind of sweeping. But um, for those of you who did not see, please, you know, look up the highlights because that Austin goal, uh, that pass was, was really slick. Um, moving on to our next game. Did you watch Orlando City versus New York City? Just a bit, yes. Perfect, because I only want to talk about one thing from this game (laughs) so we can move on. And I want to talk about the frustration that is being a fan of a team with Nani. (laughs) Whoo, baby. Nani is the most Nani player to ever exist. And by that I mean he will do 40% things that frust... No. Probably 40% of the things that will make your head explode with, like, how did someone do that? That goal is insane. And 60% of the dumbest things you've ever seen, and you live for that 40%, and you got it with a goal in this game. That was a sick goal. Um, You know, immediately after that, he just stopped tracking back and playing defense. Uh, (laughs) So it was an interesting game. It ended 1-1, but... Good Lord, I feel for Orlando fans because they have to be yanking their hair out with Nani sometimes. They do, but and Nani... And I bet they wish they had DK. Yeah, fair. And I, I think I, I th- really think they wish they could sell him so they can move on. Um, but, but Nani's going to do Nani things. He's going to score in, incredible goals, and those goals are going to get them wins when they need to, and sometimes he will just do a lot of running and nothing else, and that's going to be it. He is... Uh, a sports center player. He, he's if also like the consummate oh, MLS player to me who is 25% world-class, 75% not. That's mostly now because of his age. You know, I know in the past his 25% world-class was a lot more frequent, but most MLS players can do that. They can, they can do one great world-class thing every four games, and then the rest of the time are just sort of average to below average. Yeah, I was going to say he's like – the consummate sports center player of the early 2000s. If you couldn't watch the game because you weren't in market, 
all you would see was the highlights and be like, man, this Ma- Nani guy is insane. <laughs> exactly. Um, He's going to look great in the highlights. When I, And I'm not a Wayne Rooney fan, but Wayne Rooney will do a lot of good stuff throughout the game that doesn't show up on those highlights. Oh, God. Wayne Rooney's a grinder. Uh, exactly. He's kind of always been disadvantaged. Uh, with some of his, you know, I wish I had non-athletic a, abilities. I wish I'd made a better comparison between a white guy and a non-white guy with Rooney and uh, Nani, but but that's, oh Jesus, yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's the choice I just made uh, on accident, so I'll live up to it. Wayne Rooney's kind of like a fullback. Uh, <laughs> he is. He's a real grinder. <laughs> he's, he's a, a he's lunch a, pail player. <laughs> he's a weight room, uh, locker room rat. Whatever. Yeah, he is. yeah. Gym First rat. guy in, last guy out. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Yep, anyway, that's... welcome to Stephen A. and Colin. <laughs> Tough look on me. Yeah, whatever. It, it, I mean, he was. Tevez is a better example. Tevez was like that. I agree, uh, yeah. Te- same Tevez as is the better. Wayne like, Rooney. And, yeah, Wayne Rooney as uh, player. <laughs> Tevez was a bulldog, too. Loved him. Uh, all right. Uh, do you want to talk Galaxy Seattle? Did you actually watch this one? I did. Um, this is the first good team the Galaxy have played, and they look like the Galaxy I think most of us thought they would be. Kind they of, are who we thought they were. Kind of a hope, probably a fringe playoff team. I think they'll be in the playoffs, but a fringe playoff team who, if they can beat the teams they should beat, will be a uh, middle seed. This game for me was cool in the sense that, um, yeah, it was the first like real team the Galaxy played, and I don't really want to talk about Seattle. Um, but for me you could see kind of the confidence and the demand that they didn't have last year. Like I felt like their players were more mad that they lost than they were last year when they lost. Yeah. I felt like they thought, you know, we should have gotten a draw. We should have, could have maybe won this game. They couldn't have, but that's beside the point. Um, But I think getting those easy games early in the season and winning them has given this team a lot of confidence, and I think that's going to carry this year. And if they can keep doing it, it's going to build, and they, I don't know, maybe they'll catch lightning in a bottle. I agree, and I think I think you and I, and I think Renee may even agree, and if not, he can uh, yell at us another episode. But I hope his ears are burning and he jumps in again all drunk. <laughs> um, I, I think L.A. are a, like I said, fringe playoff team. And if they can get confidence and, and try to catch that lightning in a bottle, they can push up for a higher seed. But they, they're just their roster is not good enough to be anything more than that. No, and it's kind of an interesting roster. I think they're I think they're doing like a half rebuild almost where they're like tinkering and taking getting rid of or they're like letting players go that they don't need and filling slowly rather than doing a full let's gut it all and it's a rebuild on the fly, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Is they're going to just kind of tinker, see what they have this year, and fill in some more next year. And I think in maybe even next year, but for sure two seasons, I think they're going to be much better. Exactly. And I think if they can get a top three or four seed and only have to play like three or four games in the MLS playoffs, they could absolutely go on a run and win it. They could be like, oh, we've. You know, we we blacked out and we uh, played the best soccer we played all year and we've won four games in a row. Look, we're champions now. That could happen. Yeah. It happened last year with the crew. Like, this can happen. Yeah. Uh, final Galaxy point real quick uh, before we go to their next game. Um, Chicharito says to smash that like and subscribe button. Um, so, uh, keeping it Galaxy, 
Let's talk Galaxy LAFC. Go. Um, I mean, this was the second buzzsaw they've, they've faced. Uh, and then they still somehow got a result. Um, I, I think this was the game where you saw the potential Galaxy model for the year, which is defend, defend, and be lethal on the counter, which is what Chicharito is good at. He is good at scoring in space. He's not going to create his own shot, but he's going to finish. And that's exactly what he did against LAFC. They got yet, yet gross. They got yet another win against their uh, El Trafico rivals, and they deserved it. I really think they deserved that win. All right. While we're talking about this game, was Chicharito offside for that first goal? I don't know. I who knows? If if we are asking this question, it, it's not close enough to matter. Yeah, I don't think it matters either. I also don't think he was offside. Yeah. Uh, I think he was fine, and I think that people focus on that and not the sick slide tackle that led to a perfect pass to him. Exactly. Uh, which was awesome. And it was a good finish from Chicharito. Um, we've kind of touched on LAFC uh, w- with their uh, million midfield center midfielders playing together and uh, their inability to do ticky-tack at a score. What, what are your thoughts? They don't have a nine, and they need one. They've got to figure out where it's where he's going to be, who that guy is, and they've got to go with it. If they if they're going to do a four three three, they need a they need Daryl DK. Honestly, that's that's the guy that like that exact mold of a striker is what they need to lead their attack, to to sit in front of Carlos Vela and all of these other guys, Diego Rossi, everyone else they've got, and score goals. And they don't have him right now. And if, until they do, they're not going to win a championship. Now, do we think their scoring deficiencies improve when Vela comes back? Yeah, but is it going to improve by more than one goal a game? I don't know. That is the question. I mean, so far he hasn't played this year. Um, he, he came out of the first game when he was mad that he got subbed out. And then, oh, look, he actually is hurt and hasn't played since. Oh, right, right, yeah. So, look, like... We all sort of joked, and Bob Bradley was like, oopsie-daisy, and then it turns out he was hurt and hasn't played since, which is what you have to expect with Carlos Vela. He's going to be that way. I'm an Everton fan. I, James Rodriguez has been a godsend, but he is going to miss at least a third of the games. Yeah. I, uh, I, don't, I don't know if Vela is good, as good as he was at one year two years ago like I don't think they're gonna get that from him again I think that's fair I'm not saying he's not good but he carried that 2019 supporter shield team he did and I don't think he can do that and I'm wondering where where goals come from um and while I think it's cool that they're trying this like multiple center midfielders small guys at once the problem is all those guys they have like to turn over the ball. Yeah. Uh, Vela, they got, they got the healthiest year that Vela's ever had in 2019. And they didn't capitalize on that aside from winning the supporter shield, which is an accomplishment for sure. But yeah. when they didn't capitalize on that, you know, it, it's like having LeBron play 82 games a year or even like Steph in a healthy 82 game year and then losing in the, conference semifinals like great well we we got the one seed but we lost in the semifinals what does that do for us nothing he's very much james harden on the rockets that's that's a great point 
Yeah. All right. Uh, I think we've talked enough about the two LA teams uh, for now. Galaxy reigns supreme. Um, or as Renee would say, as it has and always will be, the Galaxy are the best team in LA. Um, so let's move on to uh, DC at Columbus Soccer Club. Did you watch Dink. any of this game or is it just me? Um, so I watched this game because uh, what I remember from this game, and you're going to be like, eh, uh, was that Columbus got two own goals and a free kick goal. And uh, outside of that, I was like, you. Yeah. I like that game probably right. should have been a 1 1 draw. I, I don't know if I agree it should have been a 1 1 draw, but I think um, I, I think you're right there. Columbus was pretty dominant, but in the final third was the opposite of dominant. They had a point four uh, expected goals, which is really low for a team that scores three goals. Um, obviously, two of those own goals won a heroic free kick by Lucas Celeron that I think that's one of the only times I can remember as a crew fan looking at him line up that free kick, and I thought, wow, this is going to be a goal. And it just was. Everyone knew it was going in. It was. It was great. Um, but it's, I mean, so not even worth really talking about these games separately. Um, three, points yeah, from, we... three points from two games. Toronto got two goals from free kicks. Um, and then Columbus kind of dominated possession in that Toronto game. Uh, but... They just they're they're really pretty poor in the final third right now, and that's a factor of um, injuries. It's a factor of the Zardes thing, the factor of the fixture conge- congestion at the beginning of the season, and it might get better. If it doesn't get better, they're going to be in for a world of hurt. But um, they still get a good defense, so I'm not too worried right now. Yeah, I think you know the thing for me with columbus soccer club right now is they've just had a lot of distractions to start the season um they had a huge rebrand they got a new stadium i don't know what you're talking about uh you know they're no longer the crew i don't Uh, i I have no idea what you mean you know they got fans ripping off their shirts and in meetings (laughs) with executives there's just it's turmoil in columbus uh no i clearly this is well i mean it's that's not affecting the team, um, but those are real things that have happened in Columbus. Um, I think what it is is just tired legs. I really do. I think they've had to travel a lot um, to start the season. Um, not only are they traveling a lot, but they were traveling internationally, which comes with a whole different set of COVID protocols, um, which I think like you can't really understand unless you've lived them. Um, and I certainly haven't, but I imagine it's much more difficult to go to a foreign country, come back to America, sit in some sort of COVID protocol rather than the teams who are just traveling around the U S and not really having to worry about that. That's a good point. Um, so I think it's partly that, um, I will say that I agree with you about the Zellerion, uh, free kick goal in that DC game. Um, I saw him like lining up to take it and I was like, he's about to take out his frustration from not being able to play in Monterey right here. Yep. And sure enough, I was like, well, as far as the Toronto game, I think that was, it's not the result the crew wanted. I really think, you know, four points out of those two games, I feel like feels a lot different than only three points. And I know it's like a one point difference, but it's early, but points do matter to an extent. I mean, I don't think Columbus 
should worry too much. Like I said, the East is still pretty clustered. Um, but I don't think Columbus wants to be a team that's not hosting playoff games. I agree. Um, I, I think this week, there, so there's a game at Toronto, which was in Orlando on Wednesday, and then they're at uh, New England on Sunday. I think you want four points out of those two games, and they're, the max is three. So now I think it's, it's almost a must-win um, in New England. But realistically, the season doesn't start until July 3rd when the crew – uh, host their first game in the new stadium after some away games. You know, it's it's really – I don't think anything matters until that. They Realistically, they could lose every game until then, go on a winning streak, and then be fine and make the playoffs and, and do great. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, crazier things have happened. Seattle there. has done the same thing many times. I was literally just going to say, I was like, uh, you know, Seattle's first MLS Cup came from – they were – almost i think third from last in the west it went on a hot streak in like august or something right or was it in like late july? it was end of july yeah uh obviously the ladero signing helped but they also fired their coach uh and spencer took over um yeah so it's definitely doable um i think they'll be fine i think yeah i would like to see them beat new england this upcoming weekend um, something deep in my gut tells me that this is a game that, because I was looking forward to it, kind of a hype game, that it's going to be a boring, like, 1-1 draw. I think you might And I'm right. going to be real, real sad about it. If, I think if you want my reasoning... Oh, go ahead. If you want a crew hot take from me this, this season, I think it's that uh, Bradley Wright Phillips might be done. You know, he's 36. He's, he's looking slow. He's looking a little off the pace. He might be done. He'll look... He looked dumb last year to me, but... Um, I, he scored, like, 11 goals last year, though. That's a lot of goals in 18 games. Yeah, he's got lucky in uh, MLS's back, I remember. He had, like, four or five goals in MLS's That's back. True. That's true. And didn't do anything else. Um, I will say, uh, just... Yeah, the, the game against New England, I just... Yeah, I think it's going to be a game where... This is dumb because it's so early, but I don't think either Porter or Arena are going to show their full hand of what they'd like to do if it was the playoff. And I think they're just going to play a conservative. And I think especially for Columbus, I think a win would be great. A draw is fantastic. No injuries is the biggest win. Yeah, I agree. I think if they can get a point. I don't think they can afford any more injuries. I, I think we wanted four points from the, these two games, but if we can get one, it's like, okay, great, fine, we'll take this. Um a point and no injuries is something you can take home and say, okay, let's take a break. Yeah, because you guys will have played. Yeah, you played on Wednesday. The I think it's six games in 19 days, if I remember correctly, which is really tough. Yeah, you guys, uh, Seattle's kind of in the same boat with their MLS schedule. They played yeah. Sunday, Wednesday, and they play again on Sunday, yeah. and then they have like a week and a half off. Um, so I think both teams will use that time to kind of recharge their batteries. Yeah. Um, I think that kind of wraps up our MLS matches. Um, before we leave, uh, I think there is one other talking point uh, that Cincinnati, uh, best in the East, opens their new <laughs> stadium this weekend. What are your thoughts on the actual stadium? I uh, have watched a lot of videos at the stadium. It looks really, really pretty. I, I, I think it, it looks cool. I hope it does well. It, it looks to me like a... So I've been in the Minnesota stadium for a game 
and I have been to New York Red Bulls Stadium. I've never been in it, but I went to it and tried to sneak in, but I couldn't get in. Uh, the farthest I got was in their gift shop. Um, and I, I think I bought a shirt because I was like 20 and felt awkward about being there and not knowing what I was doing. Um, it, it reminds me of a combination of those two. The interior looks exactly like the New York Red Bulls, sort of that two-tier all-around stadium, and then the exterior looks a lot like uh, Minnesota. I hope Cincinnati loses every match they play, but I hope they sell out every match and that their fans enjoy the game. Uh, My dad lives like three blocks away, so at some point I'm looking forward to uh, going to a game. Maybe maybe not this year, if not the next year. Yeah, I mean... Uh, you know, I you have shared some of the like videos, the drone videos. I think the stadium looks pretty awesome. I think it's a really well done soccer specific stadium. I, I, I don't it, know what else to say about it. An I mean, interesting point about it is so most MLS stadiums are like nineteen to twenty one thousand. They they've got twenty six thousand seats in there, so they're really banking on you know being able to fill a few a few thousand extra seats. Yeah. And they will. I think they will. I, I, have no, I, think, I have all confidence they'll sell those out. I think they've had a pretty pretty good support in Cincinnati since they've come into the league, uh, even with um, <clears throat> lackluster performances. I don't know how else to say it. Um, you know, I would, I would like to see Cincinnati good because it's always good to have fun, competitive rivalries. No, I hope they lose every game. Yeah, yeah no, totally understand. It's, I feel the same way about Portland. So... Um, yeah, I I don't know. I think it's good for the league that, that, you know, they're getting these owners who actually want to build soccer-specific stadiums. Cincinnati's looks like it's in a cool part of Cincinnati. So, like, it looks like if you go to a game, you're going to be able to go to the game, have some fun. I don't know. You seem it's, to have a different take. It's a little too gentrification-y. You know, they're, so my dad lives in a place called Over the Rhine, which was... So Cincinnati downtown is right on the river. Over the Rhine, where my dad lives, is right north of the city. It was a pretty sort of uh, really diverse area, right between you're sort of in the mix of some pretty um, upper class, middle class, and, and some poorer folks there. And in the last, like, five years, for sure, that, it, that area has become highly gentrified. It's become the Brooklyn of Cincinnati. If you know Milwaukee, it's the Bayview-ish of Milwaukee. Um, even sort of today. What neighborhood do you degree. live in? I live in uh, Bayview in Milwaukee. Oh, okay. And, um, it's, it's gone, it's that to the nth degree. It's been very gentrified. It's where um, Cincinnati had some riots in 2000 um, and still do sort of whenever there is some social unrest. It t- tends to happen there because it's the most diverse area. Um, yeah. so, so that part's a little disconcerting to me, the gentrification aspect of it. Um, you know, I, it's great that that, that, air, that stadium is in uh, a neighborhood for people who otherwise may not live near a stadium, but at the same time, you are making people who otherwise may not live near a stadium live near a stadium, and you're increasing their rent and doing a lot of uh, different things. Um, but I think that's a conversation for a different podcast. Yeah, uh, I think you're probably right about that. Um, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Hello from the Offside. Um, so don't forget that if you're singing Wonderwall at a game, your team's bottom of the table. Um, <laughs> and as always, thank you so much and goodbye from the offside.
Colin again here now that we've finished this episode. Wanted to apologize for missing RSL again. We'll try our best to get to them next time. We know there's a lot of RSL fans out there. I'm sure at least uh, one of you is listening to this, so we'll, we'll do our best to get to you next time. Goodbye. Offsides. 